Good morning, family. I love you guys. It's so good to see everybody here this morning. I'm Matt Rice. I'm glad that you're here this morning. I tell you, I hope you hear something very clearly, is that our desire at Northwest Community Church is to be a church that is biblical and unified. Our desire here is to be a church that is founded and grounded on the, on the greatest message in all of the world, the Bible. And as a result of that, the Bible helps us to be unified. And our, our hope today through the message today, through sharing today, will help us to continue that pursuit, to be biblical and to be unified as a church. Several things you've heard me and others talk about from this stage, and that is the issue of discipleship. And what I think that's really important for us as a church and as a family is to sit back and think about the importance of this great mission that God's given us. It is not go build a building. It is not go gather a crowd. It is simply, plain and simple, go make disciples. That is very clear in the scripture. We don't know whether we should move to Colorado or Kentucky. Colorado, if the Lord is leading you in that way. But we do know, and we can see what the church is all to be about, and that is to be able to be about making disciples. And so we cannot fail at this. You've heard us say that in Matthew 28, it says, go and make disciples. Not that we are to fail at this job. And so if we were to take an honest assessment over the last 10 years, I think we would have a lot to learn. And if we're really honest with where we are, we're not where we want to be and not where we should be. And so it causes us to sit back and go, okay, then what are we going to do? What I'm not going to do this morning is stand up here and say, we have a new program of discipleship and it's going to fix everything. That's not what we're going to do. Here's what we are going to do though. As a leadership team, we're going to invite you on a journey to pray with us to the end of what it means to really make disciples. And in Colossians chapter 1, there is a prayer by the Apostle Paul who is in prison. And this guy by the name of Epaphras comes to him because he planted this church in the area of Colossae. And all of these believers, the Colossian believers. And so Epaphras comes back to Paul who's in prison, tells them, gives them some updates. Paul writes him a letter. We call this one of the prison epistles. He writes him this letter, and it's Colossians chapter 1 that we're going to camp out in for the next several minutes. And so, again, what is the aim for today? Is the aim to create a program to fix discipleship at Northwest Community Church or understand discipleship at Northwest? No, I think it's, it's really an invitation for us collectively as a body of believers who say, God, you have sovereignly brought me to Northwest Community Church. It is my home. It is I'm fighting for it. I believe in what we're doing, and I want to make sure that we are grounded in what we're to be about, and that is to make disciples, and we can't fail at it. And so I believe what Paul does in Colossians chapter 1 is he prays what the disciples will look like. He prays what they'll look like. I want to extend an invitation to you as we walk through chapter 1 of Colossians. I have six points, and I thought about talking about um, Adam last week gave you five nuggets. I thought about calling these nuggets because every person, even McDonald's, knows that when you get nuggets, you at least get six. Adam gave us five nuggets last week. I felt a little shortchanged. First, before we talk about when, what a disciple is, or, or what a disciple, or how do we pray for disciples, let's simply just land on a definition. There's many, but this is a, a definition that I want to be able to land on. I'm going to explain it to you in a minute. If we look at disciple, the word disciple means follower. One pastor said this about the, the role of discipleship or what a disciple is. The standard definition of disciple is someone who adheres to the teachings of another, 
It is a follower or a learner. It refers to someone who takes up the ways of someone else. Applied to Jesus, a disciple is someone who learns from him to live like him. Someone who, because of Christ's awakening grace, conforms his or her words and ways to the words and ways of Jesus. Or you might say, as others have put it in the past, disciples of Jesus are themselves little Christs. Here's a definition that I want us to hold on to. Definition, it's on the screen for you. A disciple of Jesus is a worshiper, learner, servant, and witness. A disciple of Jesus is a worshiper of Jesus, a learner of Jesus, a servant of God, and a witness to the world about who he is and what he does. This is a working definition for us to understand and to evaluate, hey, where are we in this process? It's important to know how we're going to pray for disciples and what they would be like, but we need to first understand really what a definition is. And so now we jump into Colossians chapter 1. Many of the letters that Paul were writing really was trying to encourage them to press on with what they were founded upon. Many of the churches had been founded upon the, the gospel of Jesus Christ and that and that alone. And like the Galatians, they were going away from that. Paul wrote a letter to correct them of that. Well, Paul is writing a letter to the Colossian the Colossians, and there is a little bit of some disagreement over to what's happening. It's not a major doctrine, but they really want to make sure that they don't go so far away from biblical orthodoxy. And so let's jump into the, the first thing that we're going to pray for. We're going to pray for disciples, and the first thing that we're going to pray for is we're going to pray for biblical literacy among us. We are going to pray, Northwest Community Church, we are disciples we are followers of Jesus, those who are followers of Jesus, then what we are going to pray for ourselves and what we are going to pray for other people is that we would pray for biblical literacy among us. Verse nine in chapter one, this is Paul saying, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And so Paul realizes that they are partners and that they were founded upon, that he had gotten word from Epaphras about what they were founded upon. And he goes to them and writes to them in the very first chapter and says, what I'm praying for you right now is that you would be filled up, you would be overflowing with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom. And the way that we accumulate that, the way that we get that, one of the main ways is we get that is we get into the word of God. I read a tweet this morning by John Piper. And he said, my prayer for you is to grab hold of the word of God and not let go of it until the preciousness of the book settles in your soul for a lifetime. And so here's what we know in Romans 10, 17, for faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. There is absolutely no excuse for us to be in the word of God or for us to be called biblically illiterate. There is no excuse in this day and this time with all that we have access to for us not to be engaged in the word of God and the beauty of the word of God. We have what's called the internet. <laughs> and I went through college and a master's degree without it. I can't imagine writing that paper I had to write for my master's degree without the internet today. And so here's what we talk about. We have devices, we have plans on our phone that can get us and allow us to sit and marinate in the beautiful word of God. 
not to check off a box that we've read something, but to really, really get into it. And so Paul is sitting here and he is saying this from the very first day, what I'm praying for you is I'm praying for you that you would understand the word of God and that you would be biblically literate. And that is my hope and my prayer for us as disciples of Lord Jesus, that we would pray that we would be the same, that we would know him, we would revere him, and we would cry out to him. You see, one of the dangers, one of the dangers is that when we, when we don't get into the word of God, then our view of God can get radically, radically skewed. It can get radically skewed. See, we can just camp out and we can sit there and say, hey, God is good and God is good to me. And that's really important for us to see that God is good to us. But I believe what Paul is wanting us to know, wanting the Colossians to know, and wanting you and I to know, is I, want, I think he wants to even go further and say, yes, it is true, this God is good to you, he does good things to you. But listen to me, he's good for you. And he's good for you. And the way that you understand that he's good for you is you get into the word so that you can know who he is. One author said this, I know for sure that Paul has a theology that God is good for, to us. You believe that, right? God is good, and God is good to us. But here's what I want to suggest to you for a second. Not only is God good to us, I think what Paul is trying to say, that God is good for us. And it's important for us to sit there and understand the beauty of this, because here's one of the greatest enemies that we face today in our church, in our culture, in where we are as a family. Those of us that call in the name of Jesus, we have this thing called cultural Christianity, and we have the very different view of that called biblical Christianity. And when we are biblically illiterate, we're not able to understand really truly what a biblical follower of God is. And there is such a big difference. Cultural Christianity says just go to church. Biblical Christianity says you are the church. Cultural Christianity says go to God to get something from him, get goods from him. Biblical Christianity says, you know, you go to God for his goodness, not just the things that he gives. And so when we take a look and we understand all of this, we realize that Jesus in God, he is so good for us. And I want us to understand and read that Bible, read the Bible and be overwhelmed by the scriptures so that we can be able to say that, yes, he is good for me. We look at it sometimes and we say cultural Christianity says we come to God like he's a vending machine. We push a button and get out this snack. And one author said that's a very non-nutritious snack. But Biblical Christianity says God is the meal. He's the meal. And in John chapter 6, we had him sitting there with this boy. He's like, well, he's got, he's got five loaves of bread and two fish. Nah, but it won't work. And Jesus looks and he says, I am the one that will, will quench your hunger. If you hunger, come to me and eat and you will live. So what is our prayer? Our prayer, Northwest Community Church, our prayer simply is this, is that we would be a people of biblical literacy for the glory, the fame of his name, and for the mission field you call your home. It's really, really important. Number two, the second thing I want us to see is this, is that we will pray, we will walk by faith because of the gospel. Verse 10 says, 
he comes to him and he says, I want you to, to be overwhelmed with this knowledge and I want you to, be, to know the knowledge of his will. And then he says, so as, so now that you have the Bible, now that you know the Bible, now that you know the Bible and it tells you about God, here's what I want you to do. I want you to walk in this way. I want you to walk by faith because of the gospel. See, the common theme sometimes today is that, hey, it's your job to live up to the standard of the gospel. It's our job. Maybe even you've heard say, get your act together. If you don't, you'll bring shame to the name of Jesus. Certainly God wants to, uh, through the Holy Spirit, clean us up, and that's really important. But what Paul is definitely saying right now is, because you know who he is and because you have the Spirit of God living in you, what I want you to do is I'm not asking you to live up to the gospel. I'm, last, I'm asking you to live out the gospel. Big difference, right? He says, I want you to live out of it. I want you to live because of it. I want you to walk this way. Who just thought of Aerosmith besides me? And we can talk this. Okay, forget it. So, so we're, we're sitting here right now, and he's saying this, because of the gospel, I want you to walk in, in that way, a manner that is worthy of God. What does it say? It's fully pleasing to him. Do you not want to please God, Northwest? I mean, that's what he's saying to you. You walk this way, then what you're going to do, you're going to please God. What else are you going to do? It says, we're going to bear fruit in every good work and increase in the knowledge of God. So when we're grabbing hold of that book that we get to read and have full access to, and we get to understand it because the Holy Spirit is in us to reveal those things that we need to see, and then we're walking in this way, then what is going on is that we're bearing good fruit and we're increasing in our knowledge of who he is. That can only be better for our lives. Not only that, I encourage us to pray that we would walk this way. Third thing that he wants us to pray for is down in verse 11. Pray we would rely upon his strength that is available to us. Pray that we would rely upon his strength that is available to us. Verse 11 says, okay, here's his prayer. It continues. He's asking us to get into the word that we would know the word of God. He asks us then the second time, I want you to walk this way. And then I want you to understand that I want you to be strengthened with all power. How's that power? According to his glorious might. That word glorious has wrecked me this week. Then he says, for all endurance and patience with joy. And so here's what he says. The, The disciple really has a decision. Here's the decision that you as a follower of God... Paul jumps out in in Colossians and calls them saints. The word is also disciple, a follower of of Christ. And he looks at him and he says, hey, you've got a decision to make. The insinuation is, you've got a decision. Who are you going to place your your trust in, your power? Where are you going to get the power to do what God's called you to do? Where are you going to get it from? Who does it come from? We know that it can come from yourself. We know that it can come from the Holy Spirit of the living God. And Paul in his prayer is mentioning this power so that we will understand the access that we have to live the life that he's called us to live. And I would ask you as, as a family to say, let's not look anywhere else for this power. Let us pray to the end, recognizing that our power to live the life that God would have us to live, to be the disciple that he would want us to be, is always going to be insufficient when we're just relying upon ourselves. And so his prayer is that, hey, you would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Of course, he gives us the Holy Spirit. One of the greatest enemies to our discipleship is a belief that we are stronger or that we are better. And I would ask you, those of us who have done that or drifted into that, which we all have if we were to raise our hand, how's that working out for us? 
It's not working out too good, is it? So he's coming down here and said, I want you to be strengthened by his glorious, according to his glorious might. He also comes down and gives us a warning in this text because he says that I want you to have this power for all endurance and patience. What that is is an insinuation that you will have struggle. It's, you're not exempt as a disciple, as a follower, to be exempt from struggle. You're going to have it. And in order for you to get through it, you're going to need, you're going to, need to be biblically literate. You're going to be able to walk in this way. And you're going to rely on the spirit and the strength that I give you in order to endure and have patience. And then it says, with joy. Which there is a fruit of the spirit of the living God. So what does he want us to do as a family? He wants us to shout boldly who he is. So that when the light goes out because of circumstances that come, we'll be able to whisper it to each other because we can hardly speak. So we shout it when the lights are on. We shout it and we scream it when the lights are on. And we do it from this stage. And we do it from kids' ministry. And we do it in our life groups. And then when situations and circumstances come that it seems really dark, maybe we're not shouting, but we need to at least whisper. And that's what he's telling us right now, is that you're going to need this power for what's coming to you. You're not exempt from this. You're, you're not exempt. One pastor said it this, we grow in our knowledge of God now so we can endure with patience and joy then. We grow now, we mature now, we develop the muscles of Christian discipleship now so we can endure with patience and faithfulness then. And my encouragement to us is that we would pray that it is the power of God, not the power of our ability to get us through the daily struggles or the daily victories that we are definitely going to encounter and if we're going to be a discipleship, a true discipleship, who's a follower of God, then what is really, really important for us to understand is that it is his strength and his power that grants us a knowledge of who he is and an understanding of what he's doing. And I would ask us and invite us to pray for one other thing too, and that's this. I want us to pray we would never get over what he did in us. So here comes Paul's prayer, and he's praying right now. He comes to the end, but we need to jump to 21 first and 22 before we go to 12 and 15. It makes more sense to really understand where we were and where we are. And so if you're a disciple of the Lord Jesus here this morning, you're sitting here right now, and you're saying, I have placed my faith in Christ through grace alone. It is only through him that I have a relationship with him. Repented of your sins and placed your faith in him, then this is what he's saying. Here's what we were. He says, and you who were once alienated, that is past tense. He is writing to believers. He's saying, this is what you were. You were separated from God. You were separated from the things of God. You were alienated. And not only that, but you were hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Don't forget, this is past tense, and this is where we were. Really important for us as disciples to never get over how lost we were. Really get, get, not get over that we truly were separated from God. And those things have now changed. In verse 22 he says, he has now, what has he done? Reconciled in his body by flesh, his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Now let's go to verse 12 and 15. Probably three of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. 
I will preface this by saying that large part of my Christian life, I have worked very hard to, to, for the approval of God. Especially 10 years ago when I went out to plant a church called the Creek Church before I came on staff here. My approval or my success in God was largely dependent upon how successful my church was or how many people were coming. And so here's what he says in verse 12 that has absolutely spoken to me and wrecked me and given me great encouragement. And this is what he says here in his prayer. He says, I give thanks to the Father who, what? who has qualified. That word qualified, let me make sure you understand something. We have people who run races. You have Olympic trials. They run in those Olympic trials so that they will qualify for the Olympics. They run these races so they can get into that race. We have several people. I know we've got the keepers over here. Casey ran in a race a couple of weeks ago at the Tobacco Road Marathon and qualified for the Boston Marathon. I think that's awesome. I think that's incredible. And so here's what happens when you, when you, when you, you, you are qualified because of something that you do, but don't miss the point of the verse. He's looking at them and he's saying, hey, giving thanks to God because he qualified you. That's what he did. He did that in your life. Listen, don't get over the past tense of the word. Don't get over that last past tense of the word. And then he keeps going even further. And he says, you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Verse 13, he has delivered us. That happened past tense. You're not being delivered in terms of your salvation. He's like, you've delivered you from the domain of darkness. And he's transferred us. My dad, my dad was working for a travel's insurance company. We moved all over the East Coast. It was called a corporate move. We went from Virginia to Pennsylvania, from Pennsylvania to New York, from New York to Connecticut, from Connecticut to North Carolina. And anytime we would do a corporate move, what would take place is the little truck would come in and they would pack our entire house. I'd just sit there and watch them as a little kid, grade school kid, high school kid, middle school kid. I'd just watch them. That's what they did. They, they, they would pack up the house. And then the next day, or two days later, what would they do? They would come in, and they would take everything out, and they would put it into a truck, and they would transfer us, move where we were, all the way to another state. And here's what God is doing right now. He is the one that does that to us. He moves us from darkness to light. And that word right there is past tense. Don't ever get over that. Qualified. delivered and transferred. And then he comes down here and he says in verse 14, it says, in him we have, this is what we have because of all he did in our lives. This is what we have. We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Oh gosh, don't get over that. Another enemy of our discipleship is that we try to qualify ourselves. We try to deliver ourselves. We try to transfer ourselves. We need to stop doing that because he's done it and he's much better at it than we are. Never get over that we were annihilated and never get over about what Christ has done. He goes on to pray in verse 15, and here's where the prayer ends and the song begins. This is a beautiful thing right now. Here it is, it's a song that he gives to us. And the song is, let me explain what happened. He's writing this prayer, he's praying over them. He gets to 15 because of what's going on at the churches of Colossae. Let me just make sure you see this. 
what's happening right now is that some of them are starting to add something to Jesus. So in essence, what they're doing is they're saying Jesus plus something is everything. Sort of what the Galatians did when they did with circumcision and food laws and ceremonial holidays and all that stuff. Jesus plus blah, blah, blah equals everything. Paul is coming back to them and he's writing very clearly, that is not the gospel. And what we are praying for, what Paul is praying for is that we would understand that he does that through giving them a poem. And some people would say that this is the first praise song of the Colossian church. And he wrote this song, which is so beautiful, I'd encourage you to memorize this. But here's what it says in 15. He says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. That's who is going to teach us and lead us how to be a disciple. This is the one who's given us instructions to do it. Not only has he given us instructions to do it, but he's going to equip us in how this is done. And I look forward to seeing how that is done with you and among you. But right now it's a prayer and he breaks out into this beautiful psalm. See, here's what's going on right now. You have one group of believers there that what they're taking is they're saying Jesus plus the dominions of the earth, like the kings and the government, that you need to be involved with both those things. So it's Jesus and It's Jesus and those things. You have another group that is saying, hey, listen, you know, we believe in Jesus. That's really important. But what we're going to do is we're going to say it's Jesus plus the angels or Jesus plus the supernatural. It's those things that equal a full life in God. And here's what's going on. You know why they did that? Listen to me. They did that because they were bored and they were apathetic. And Paul is coming to him and he's sitting there. I don't want you to get bored that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It is for your good and my glory that you understand that, that you rest in that. We have used that statement or that point several times in the life of Northwest. And I simply don't want us to get over that. There is this small heretical thing that's coming into the church. And basically it was Christ and. And that is unbiblical and not the way a disciple is formulated, not the way a disciple is going to learn. It is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That is the motivation and the message of the church. Let us pray that as we raise up an army of disciples, that we raise them up with this, this message. It's not Jesus and your good works. It's not Jesus in your church attendance. It's not Jesus and the way you raise your kids. It is Jesus plus nothing equals everything and rest and hold on to that beautiful statement. Because here is the deal. When you add to Jesus, you take away from Jesus. And that is a bad thing. Last one right now is this. Pray we will stay the course. In verse 23, he says this. I don't want you to ever forget what this is taking place. So as we're praying for disciples at Northwest Community Church, I will tell you that this is one of my new motivations to pray for you as a follower of Christ is this statement right here, verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, if indeed. There is a message, there was was an insinuation 
that there are going to be those people that are not going to follow through. He said, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and which I, Paul, became a minister. Paul challenges us to finish the race, not just start the race. He wants us to be in there, wants us to stay in there. So what do we learn? What's our summary? Our summary is this, pray for biblical literacy among us. Pray we will walk by faith because of the gospel. Pray we would rely upon his strength that is available to us. Pray we would never get over what he did in us. Pray we would rest in the fact that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And pray that we will stay the course for the glory of God. May we as a group, as a church, be so dedicating ourselves to praying this prayer for the disciples of Northwest Community Church for his glory his name, and his fame. Let's pray. God, in Jesus' name, I come to you right now, and I am grateful for who you are. I love you. I thank you. You are awesome. You are incredible. You are worthy to be praised. As we right now think about what it means to be a disciple for you, I pray that, first, that Colossians chapter 1 would encourage us and, and, and challenge us to really pray for each other to that end. So God, now as we move into our song and our, our family chat time, our sharing time, may you be glorified, may you be honored, may your name be lifted up. You so deserve it. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.